1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you would, let's all stand together as I read starting in verse 17. 1 Corinthians 1 starting in verse 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a, st a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of this world to confound the things which are mighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us the privilege and the calling to share the gospel. And Lord, none of us are able in our own strength to do, to do so effectively. But Lord, you have chosen the weak things. You've chosen uh, to glorify yourself through our weak efforts. And Lord, through our foolishness, it may, may feel foolish or seem foolish, but uh, that's how you've chosen to do it. Lord, I pray that today uh, you would open our hearts and change our hearts. And Lord, recommission us to go out into our, our mission fields and open our mouths and share the gospel. Lord, help me as I preach. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's never received the message of salvation, may today be the day that they understand and receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, missionaries, of course, go around the world sharing the gospel. That's their calling. That's their job. Uh, that's what they have given their lives to do. But I think we all understand that we're all called to be missionaries. The Great Commission is to every Christian. And we ought to consider our lives and our, our neighborhoods, our uh, place of work as our mission field. And yet, how do you get the ball rolling? How do you open the door to share the gospel? Uh, to be honest, it's, it's difficult. Uh, there are some folks who are just naturally at ease in every situation. They've been given that, that folksy, conversational personality. If that's you, praise the Lord. That is great. That's an amazing tool. And honestly, folks, uh, Christians who are given with that kind of talky, personable personality, that's a, that's a great treasure, and you ought to use that for the Lord and bring people into the kingdom. Um, but you know what? Whether you have that personality or not, it would seem from the Bible that it really doesn't matter because God's not looking for a personality type to be most effective. 
In fact, it's often the ones who feel like they have nothing to say or don't know what to say or don't have the courage to say it. Those are the ones that God will make the most effective. He has chosen the foolish. He's chosen the weak. So that includes me. That includes you. You know, nobody here likes to be embarrassed. Nobody likes that awkward feeling. Uh, nobody likes to be made a fool of. Anybody like that? Do you just enjoy making an idiot, an idiot out of yourself? I, I don't think so. Most of us uh, avoid those circumstances. And yet, I guarantee you, if you make any effort at giving the gospel, you're going to feel dumb. You're going to feel weird. You're going to feel awkward. There's a certain cringe that happens when you try to turn the conversation from the whatever it is to the spiritual. And you know what the Bible wants us to do? I think God wants to embrace that. God wants us to embrace that cringe factor. So I don't know what title you want to give this message. I've got a couple of titles, but you could just call it the Embrace the Cringe. How about that? All right, if you're going to give the gospel, you're going to have to embrace that. Now, my real title is actually How to Win Souls Like the Savior. Because we're going to go to John chapter 4 and learn from him. But go to John chapter 4 and you'll find that when Jesus in this passage, speaks to the woman at the well, it's not a natural conversation. There's nothing normal or socially acceptable about this conversation with the woman at the well. And you and I, in these kind of situations, would often shrink back because of awkwardness. We're going to feel foolish. We're going to stand out like a sore thumb. But Jesus embraced that. In fact, he went there on purpose to do that. And so we're going to learn how to win souls just like Jesus did, but honestly, we got to be willing to be a fool for Christ. We've got to be willing to embrace that awkwardness if we're going to really give the gospel. Look what Jesus does in John chapter 4. He goes out of his way to meet this woman, and that really is our first point. Go out of your way to meet people. Look what Jesus does. I'll start in verse 3. Uh, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Uh, Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. That would be about noontime, midday. Uh, there cometh a woman of Samaria unto, uh, to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a, Samar a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, this woman has an interesting personality. You can see it all throughout this account. She is, you could say, more talkative. She's somewhat bold in her conversation. And so she says out loud what some people might have said in private as they passed by. If somebody saw Jesus sitting there and saw the woman walk up, and if they observed that he addressed her, they would have said in their hearts what she said out loud. All right, what is he doing talking to that woman? Now, right off the bat, he why is he in Samaria? Well, Jesus went out of the way, and for a Jew, he really broke a lot of customs and a lot of biases to even be in Samaria. He chose to go where Jews don't go. 
he went out of his way to talk to this woman. And uh, honestly, anybody observing it, his disciples included, if they had seen it, they would have said what she just said. What is he doing talking to that woman, that Samaritan woman? See, I'm afraid sometimes we are so desirous to be effective, which is good, but we also want to be effective without the cringe. We want to be effective without the folly, without feeling foolish or weird or outspoken. And so we're waiting for that perfect moment to give the gospel. You know, that moment where the person basically walks up to you and says, what must I do to be saved? Wouldn't that be great to have one of those every once in a while? And can God do that? Absolutely. He can just drop that right in your lap and wow, what an opportunity. And yet, sadly, I think sometimes some of us would even back away from that. God forbid. But we can be so fearful and so inward that we can miss some golden opportunities. But many times those golden opportunities really aren't there and anything you try to do seems culturally wrong. Talking to this woman was culturally and socially wrong. Was it morally wrong? Of course not. <laughs> Jesus would not do something morally wrong. It was culturally wrong. You know, when you try to give the gospel today in 2021 in COVID world, right, there are a lot of unspoken rules and some of it we ought to be careful about. We're not deliberately trying to cause an offense and it would be wise to obey as many of the cultural norms as possible but at some point, you have to break the ice. And you, you're going to say or do something that is socially unacceptable. You know, I, we have so many good missionaries, and I love, I love missionaries. I love hearing their stories, and, and I've talked to a lot of missionaries. But I, you know, I, I've had some times when I've felt like, you know, there's so much of an, an analysis of the culture, whatever culture it might be, you pick it. There's so much analysis of the culture in an effort to find an inroad to the gospel, that all you really find are numerous cultural barriers to the gospel. Well, you can't do this, you can't go there, you can't say it this way, you can't talk to them. Well, if you can't talk to them, well, it's culturally unacceptable to talk to them. Oh, so how do you give the gospel? I mean, there, there, there can be all kinds of unwritten rules. In your neighborhood, there are probably some unwritten rules. Um, if you happen to knock on a door, I guarantee you that's a... Already, by the way, I, I thank God for door knocking. Our church has done it. I think this church has probably done it. It's a good way to get the message to everybody. But know when you go to that door, you are breaking a cultural rule for most people. They don't want you at their door. They, they don't know why you're selling something. Are you selling anything? No. And whatever, the, whatever you have, they don't want it, generally speaking. And so you're breaking a rule just by knocking on that door. But how about in social circumstances? You're at the store. You're shopping. They're shopping. Well, it's kind of an unwritten rule that you let them shop. You don't talk to them. What are you, some kind of weirdo? Are you a creep? What are you? No, I'm just a Christian trying to give the gospel. Sorry. You know, but the fact is, the Christian oftentimes will feel a little weird. Folks, Jesus accepted that. He broke through that barrier and he embraced it. He went out of his way to meet this woman. You know, we need to stop and think about that. Do we go out of our way to meet people? To actually talk to people? We live in the day of Facebook. 
where you can interact socially, virtually, with never actually looking into their eyes, never actually being face to face. And now with the, the cultural change, everybody's got a mask on out and about. It's hard to get a glimpse of somebody's face. But you know what? We as Christians need to be like Jesus and say, I'm going to go on purpose to go try to meet someone. I'm going to go on purpose to go mix and mingle where I might accidentally have to talk to somebody. You know, it's so easy to be sheltered in our little cocoon, and I've been guilty of this. You know, you go to the, you go to the store, you go to shop, you got your stuff, and what do you want to do? What do I want to do? I want to find the self-checkout and get through that as fast as possible, and if I'm really good at it, nothing happens, and uh, but generally speaking, you know, you, you don't weigh the, the grapes right or something, and so the attendant still has to come over, which is fine. But, you know, some of us, we don't mind being in a little bubble, we don't see anybody, don't talk to anybody. For one, that's not healthy. It's not healthy mentally. It's not healthy emotionally for a culture to be like that. But I'll tell you one thing, the devil loves it because the gospel is not going out. COVID shut down the world, but it also shut down the gospel in a huge way. Some folks say, oh no, it's more than ever because all the church services are online. Yes, but who's watching that? Generally speaking, those are Christians who want to hear good preaching. Uh, the lost is not typically tuning in to your Sunday morning message. All right? So we have to be aware of the fact that we're going to have to be wise, but also foolish. And Jesus talked to this woman. Do you pray about opportunities? Do you pray for divine appointments? Jesus knew that woman would be there, so he has the edge, right? Guess what? If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. So you've got that same edge. So I don't know what Jesus knows. You don't have to know what he knows. You have the Holy Spirit. He knows where you ought to be, and he can guide you there. And you can get up in the morning and say, Lord, I pray that you would lead me somewhere today where I talk to someone about you. Now, that's a scary prayer because he might take you up on it. Amen? <laughs> That'd be a good place to start because, folks, this really does get down to a heart problem. It really does. We're not afraid to be a fool for Christ because there's a problem in our hearts and we've got to start there. Lord, would you help me to meet someone today? Pray for those divine appointments. Plan soul winning into your day or into your week. Plan a time to go out. Go prepared. Have some gospel tracks. But more than anything, ask God to open your eyes to see that woman or that man who's all alone or that opportunity where you're interacting with someone where you're sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to say, okay, I'm going to look at that person, see their face, see their eyes, and think to myself, that's a sinner with heaven or hell waiting for them. So let's be like Jesus. Go out of our way to meet people. Secondly, he, he made friendly conversation. He says to her in verse 7, woman, give me to drink. And it's a very direct statement, but it's not a rude statement. Um, he's asking her for a drink of water. He was being friendly. You know, sometimes the, the, the best thing to start with is just a smile. Now, how hard is it to work these muscles? Come on now. We can do it. I won't make you do it. Some of you are doing it right now. Some of you forgot how to do that a long time ago. Uh, but, you know, we, we can smile. And, you know, it, the smile is, can't just be a cheesy salesman smile. That's not going to work. But if you have the joy of the Lord, it should show up here. We ought to ask the Lord for that. Isn't that the fruit of the Spirit? 
love, joy, peace. And so don't only, not only pray about and go out of your way to meet people, but then ask God to give you that friendly smile, that word of kindness that can open the door. Jesus just asked for a drink of water and it opened the door. Smile, say hello, talk about the weather, you know, make a little friendly conversation. This is a real person. You're about to talk about their soul, but they need to know that you notice them, that you actually are, are pleasantly, <laughs> you're okay with talking to them. They might not be okay with talking to you, <laughs> but you can at least be at ease by the grace of God. You say, well, I'm, I can't even do that. I'm too scared. Well, just ask God for the grace and try those smile muscles and say, hey, how you doing? You can do it. And it might be awkward, but you can start there. I guarantee you, you won't get your mouth open until you work your, your face a little bit and show some kindness. Jesus made friendly conversation. He did a little bit more than hello. He asked for something. And so let's look around for opportunities to say hello. Once again, someone might just shut me down right now and say, Pastor, that's not my personality. Well, good news. Jesus is not looking for personalities. He's looking for the weak things. He's looking for the foolish things. He's even looking for the awkward things. So we're all included, amen? <laughs> so we can do this. You can smile. You can say hello. You can make friendly conversation. You can talk about the weather. You might say, well, Pastor Barbara, I already do that. Well, good. Well, then what's next? Three, transition to the gospel. Jesus went out of his way to meet people. He made friendly conversation. Both of those things were socially unacceptable. But now he does something even more socially unacceptable. He turns from a glass of water to talking about eternity. Now, some of us are okay with the how you doing stuff. The how, how, how are the, what's the local team around here? Um, the Wolverines. Hey, how's the game? Some of us can do the, the easy, earthly, down-earth conversation, but then turning it to the spiritual, that's pretty drastic. And that's where the awkwardness or the fear really can hold us back in our, in our flesh, in our, in our weakness. But Jesus just went right after it. He transitioned to the gospel. And how did he do it? Look at verse, verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have, given to him, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. So what did Jesus do? He saw that she had a need. Now, this is very basic, and you can answer if you want. What was her need? She came there for good, water. So she needed water. She was thirsty. So he saw a need, and he told her, you know what? That's not going to last very long. That gives temporary satisfaction. What if I had told you I had something that would make you never thirst again? That, that'll satisfy you forever. So he asked her a question that really was kind of out of, this, out of the box. It was a clever question. I mean, God himself thought it up, so pretty clever, right? But it was not necessarily a, a smooth transition, if you're looking for one. It was a very sudden right-hand turn. I mean, he said, hey, if you knew who you, were, who you were with right now, you would have asked of me, and I would have given you living, living water awkward silence. She looks at him and thinks, I knew he was crazy. Seriously, she, this is not a normal conversation at all. 
Nothing about this transition is normal or easy or natural. And so she responds as she is the, the type to, to say what she's thinking out loud. And she says, verse 11, The woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He just took it further. Now, what can we learn from this? Do people around us have needs? Sometimes it's obvious. Jesus took something as simple as a cup of water and said, you think you need water. What you really need is eternal life. That was the nut, nuts and bolts of this. That's a sudden transition, isn't it? <laughs> I've heard people say, uh, I wouldn't use this necessarily, but someone says, boy, it's hot outside. I know it's hot outside. It's even hotter in hell. Now, that's a, <laughs> that's a very drastic transition. You say, I would never do that. Well, maybe God didn't lead you to do that. God might lead someone else to do that. But is it drastic? That's about as drastic of a turnaround as you can go. But the point is, Jesus is saying, okay, you have a need. That's not what you really need. What you need is something spiritual that'll last forever. Whoa. Is that an attention getter? Absolutely. Now, she had nowhere to go and she was busy drawing water, so she was kind of a captive audience, but she was intrigued and she kept on listening. You know, whether you take a sudden approach or a smooth approach, the point is this. We have to transition to the gospel if you're going to share the gospel. And some of us are good at even the smile and the hello, how you doing, but that's not the gospel. And we're hoping that maybe over time people will see our life and our testimony and they'll just know that we're a Christian and maybe some will. But we've got to actually transition to the gospel. So well, I wouldn't know what to say. I would fumble it and I would just say something weird. Well, read John 4. <laughs> this is a little weird. It is. It's not natural. And I'm not saying we're trying to be awkward. I'm just saying don't worry about that. We saw in 1 Corinthians that God chooses the weak things, God chooses the foolish things, and those are the ones that, it's gonna, that, that God's going to bless. And so sometimes we're trying so hard to be clever or wise or subtle. Folks, I'm not a good politician. I'm not very subtle. Are you subtle? I mean, oftentimes when you are subtle, people don't get the hint, right? So, I mean, it's very hard to find a, a clever, subtle transition. And I think we just need to be willing for the Lord to open our mouth, find some circumstantial method if possible. But Jesus, he chose something that pointed out her need. You know, you could literally uh, be working out with the guys and you go to the bubbler or water fountain, Right? And the guy in front of you is taking forever. And you can make the old joke, hey, uh, save some for the fishes, right? Or you could do what Jesus did. You know, that's going to satisfy you for a little bit, but not forever. What do you mean? And now in that awkward moment, <laughs> you talk about Jesus. Say, Pastor Barbara, that doesn't sound very, very, very effective. Well, folks, what's effective is the gospel. This is what I'm trying to get at. You are not effective. I am not effective. The gospel is effective. 
And this is something that we have to grapple with. My wisdom, my choice of words are not as important as the gospel. And the devil and our own fear of man has done so much to bar the door so that we never actually start to declare the gospel because it's not the right time. It feels kind of awkward. I don't know the right words. I might feel stupid. I might push them away. It might ruin the relationship. Uh, Too much of a cringe factor. I'm not a wordsmith. I can't figure out how to say it right. And all of that might be true, but none of that matters. Because did you know that we have someone working with us? The Holy Spirit. John chapter 16, the Holy Spirit was sent into this, into this world to convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And so we can work with him and just try to crack the door open to the gospel. Some transitions that I've used, and it's a very simple transition, and I don't even have a gospel tract on me. Shame on me. Do you have one on you? But imagine my imaginary gospel tract here, okay? And so here's my awkward transition that works pretty well. It's very direct. So, how you doing? Oh, fine. Nice weather. Now, what do you say? How do you transition from the weather? I already gave you one example, but anyway, how do you transition from the weather? Well, just cut to the chase, pull out the gospel track and say, hey, you know, I've been wanting to give this to you. It's just a little pamphlet that has some Bible verses in there, explains how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven someday. And hopefully they take it oftentimes they will you put it in their face not in their face but you put it in their private in their personal space and they'll often take it so you you reach out and it's instinctive for someone to to take what you gave them and so once it's in their hand you say that that tells you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven someday is that something you ever think about i always ask that question that tells you how you can know for sure that you're going to heaven someday do you ever think about that because now the ball's in their court they have to answer now, I just transitioned from, hey, good to see you, How, uh, nice day outside, to here's a gift, here's a gospel track, here's a pamphlet that tells you how you're going to heaven. Was that subtle? No. But I'm not good at coming up with clever things to say. <laughs> and so until I get good at that, I will try something very, very simple. Now, Jesus saw the water, and transitioned into the water of everlasting life. Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant, but it's still also not subtle. It's very direct. It's very direct. Uh, She thought he was weird for a moment until he explained further, and then she realized, whoa, I'm actually talking to the Messiah. So the cringe factor did not subside for quite a while in this conversation. Folks, we have to be willing to be a fool for Christ. We have to be willing to be a fool for Christ or the gospel won't make it out of our mouths into people's hearts. Jesus looked for a need. He told him he had a solution for her true need. Um, you can use your testimony in this, in this phase. You can say, you know what? Basically, I remember the time when I, was, when I was going through a hard time and I was totally lost and I was looking for satisfaction and you can tell your testimony, but then I heard about Jesus and he changed my life. And your testimony can be part of the transition to get to the gospel, but we've got to be willing to do that. I find it interesting that Jesus was willing to confront uh, her sin problem. Look at verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, go call thy husband, and come hither. Uh, and the woman answered and said, I have no husband. 
Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. Jesus went right after her sin. Now, he was a stranger to her, so she thought she was totally anonymous. Uh, do you think her sin was quiet in the town? This is probably a small town, five husbands currently living in sin. Why do you think she is coming to the well at midday? We often speculate that it's because she was already a social outcast. So the whole, whole town knew about her sin, and Jesus let her in on the secret that he knew too. And in doing so, she immediately knew she was talking to a prophet and, of course, the Lord Jesus, uh, the Messiah. But he went after her sin. And when you're talking to a stranger, you don't know what their sin problem is. But can someone get saved unless they know that they're a sinner? Uh, a, a person cannot be saved until they know they're lost. And so we have to be willing not only to start the conversation, but then we have to be willing to actually point out their sin. And one of the problems with the gospel presentations that are happening in churches today is there's a, a squeamishness about actually going after sin. Uh, they might refer to it as mistakes. Or even the soul winner might say, well, you know, uh, no one's perfect, right? Yeah, no one's perfect, right? And so we kind of talk about sin as no one's perfect, and that is true, but that does not exactly produce any kind of conviction. And yes, it's true, no one's perfect, but the reality is we've sinned against a holy God, and we have to be bold enough and loving enough to actually show them, you know what, the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible says because of our sin, we're not worthy to be in heaven. We have to actually be willing to confront their sin problem. And that may or may not be easy to do. Oftentimes, it takes boldness. You know, starting the conversation, it's awkward. That takes boldness. Being willing to go after sin and lovingly but boldly confront that, that takes boldness. But folks, it is super important nowadays because we live in a world where sin is not just lived, it's celebrated. We live in a world that's in defiance against God. And our response is not to be defiant to the lost world. No, our response is to love them, to point them to Jesus, but to also lovingly confront their sin problem. That they have to turn to God and that their sin has separated them from God. Um, I've had interactions before, and one that comes to mind, I was talking to a gentleman, giving the gospel to him, and in the conversation, he stopped me and said, now, I'm a homosexual. Can I get saved? Now, I'll tell you what. The Bible says Jesus Christ died for all. He took the sin of the world on him. So I said, absolutely, Jesus will save anyone who comes to him. Whether it's homosexuality or adultery or any other kind of fornication or any other kind of sin you can think of, the Apostle Paul himself was a former murderer, right? So God will save anyone. But he said, so, so I can just, um, I, I can pray the prayer and I'll, I'll go to heaven. Now, folks, the reality is at that moment, in a spirit of defiance, and it was all over his face, all over his eyes, the pride, the defiance was there. The Bible says, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. Salvation is by grace. So if someone is in a spirit of pride about their particular sin, whether it's homosexuality, or maybe you're talking to an axe murderer and he's proud of how many people he's killed. Okay, the point is, if they're proud of their sin, 
particular sin, if they're proud of their sin, are they in a position to be saved? According to the Bible, they're not. They can be saved, but first they have to be confronted lovingly but boldly that their sin has offended a holy God so that they can humble themselves under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and trust in Jesus as their Savior. The Bible says that Jesus was sent into the world to save his people from their, what? Sins. So salvation is not just, hey, tickets to heaven. Hey, tickets to heaven. Want to go to heaven? No, we're not just giving tickets to heaven. We are lovingly showing people that they can be saved from their sin and from hell and go to heaven. That's the whole package, the whole picture. And it takes boldness to start the conversation. And it takes a loving but confident boldness to deal with the sin. And sometimes the sin that they're thinking of is already on the table of conversation. Sometimes you don't know what their sin problem is and you just go through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever lied before? Yeah, okay. And you can show from the Ten Commandments that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if someone is not willing to be confronted with their sin, if they're not willing to accept that they are a sinner, they are not ready to be saved. Don't walk them through a sinner's prayer because they're not ready. And so you could call that repentance. In my mind, repentance is a whole matter that needs to be clearly explained. But to me, the, the nuts and bolts of repentance is a humbling of the heart before God so they can be saved. Repentance is that humbling of the heart about your sinful condition before a holy God that says, I need a savior, right? And so be willing to lovingly confront the sin problem. Jesus did that. All right, very quickly, also, if you're counting number five, give biblical answers. And without reading the whole thing, when she comes under conviction of sin, she tries to change the subject. <laughs> she says, I perceive that you're a prophet. I've got a question I've always wanted to ask one of you prophets. And so she starts to ask a question about where you should worship. Should you worship in Jerusalem or should you worship on this mountain? And what does Jesus do? He actually answers her question. He doesn't get sidetracked and go off on a long rabbit trail, but he actually answers her question. And so uh, he says, uh, in, uh, starting in verse uh, 22, uh, uh, verse 21, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. Uh, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a Spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and in truth. So her answer surprised, his answer surprised her. But he did answer the question. She's saying, which mountain should you worship at? And he's saying, well, the time is coming where that won't matter. Where you're going to worship the Lord in Spirit and in truth. Whoa, she'd never heard that before. But he did answer the question. And sometimes we do need to answer the question. Someone brings up something that, that bugs them. Well, how could a, how could a loving God send, send, send people to hell? Do you have an answer for that? There are Bible answers for that. And you can lovingly show them what the Bible says about hell. You can lovingly show them from the Bible because that very well may be one of their defenses against the gospel. And we have to be prepared, as 1 Peter tells us, to be prepared to give an answer to every man who, uh, for, for the, the reason of the hope that lieth in us. So do you know your Bible? 
That's why we're in church today, not just to worship, but to know our Bibles so that we can be prepared. Jesus answered her question that established even further that she was talking to a man of God. You know, if we act ignorant of the scriptures, we're not really building that person's faith in what we're talking about. We don't have to be a master in every subject, but we ought to be able to show them that the Bible is true, uh, be able to show them that what the Bible says about creation. I'm not saying going way off the tangent, but if they have a legitimate question, we ought to have a Bible answer, amen? And so Jesus answered her question. And then finally, last but not least, Jesus does something for her. He preaches Jesus. Now, he was talking, but he introduced her to who he was. So uh, we are not, lastly, we're to preach Jesus. Uh, he actually spells it out to her in such an amazing way. Uh, she says in verse 25, the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, uh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. I just love that. The most clear statement you'll find is to this woman at the well. I am he. You know what? Whatever you say in your gospel presentation, as long as you have a chance to talk, the goal is to get to Jesus. Show them Jesus. Show them that Jesus is the Savior. Jesus died for them. Jesus rose again. Jesus loves them. He will save them. He will satisfy them. Folks, we've got to lift up Jesus. Jesus promised that if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. And folks, of course, that's, that's the whole goal of the gospel presentation is to lift up Jesus. And so she's saved. She brings out the whole community to see this one that she has discovered to be the Christ. But let's just stop and think for, think, think for a minute. Jesus never would have been able to say, I am he. Christ would not have been preached if you don't back up to the very beginning. He went to the place where she would be. He stepped through the door of cultural barriers. He broke through the cultural barriers. He embraced the awkward moment. He abruptly turned the conversation to spiritual things. All of that was awkward. None of that was easy, humanly speaking, and yet God was all over it, and she was saved. Amen? So I, once again, I'm not telling us we have to just throw wisdom to the wind. No, but with all of our wisdom, we're not very good soul winners. With all of our cultural savvy, we're not very good soul winners. How many folks are we finding? There's a lot of folks like her who have a need, and they don't know that Jesus is the one they really need. How many of them are hearing about Jesus who will meet their need? Folks, we'll never get to lift up Jesus if we don't embrace that cringe, embrace the folly, open our mouths and say, Lord, here we go. <laughs> Lord, help. I've prayed that prayer many times. Lord, help. You say, well, what if I fumble it? What if I just get my words all mixed up and make an idiot of myself? Good. Amen. God will use you. That's what the Bible says. And honestly, if you get too good at it, watch out. You might get too good at it and now the Lord's not working anymore and you're chalking up conversions that didn't even happen. Let's stay humble. Let's embrace the awkwardness. Let's go through those doors that aren't even there. Doors that seem closed by culture standard. Let's walk through those doors. Say hello to that person. Sit down and talk to that person. Turn it to Jesus. Don't just talk about the weather. Turn it to Christ. Embrace that 
weakness, that foolishness, and trust God to do a miracle. Because that's what it needs. That's what we need. We need a miracle every single time. And that means God can use me. God can use you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've entrusted the gift of the message of the gospel to our hands, to our mouths. And you've not called the wise, the gifted, those who are wordsmiths, those who are especially talented or outspoken. Lord, you've called every one of us. And no matter how much we prepare, the moments that you want us to seize are they're awkward moments. They're difficult moments. They're uneasy moments of nerves and, and fear and apprehension. Those are the moments you want us to seize. And Lord, forgive us for waiting for that perfect time. Forgive us for thinking that we, with our wisdom and our skill, will find that perfect moment. Lord, help us to cast ourselves utterly upon you. Help us to embrace the folly of the gospel to count ourselves fools for Christ. Give us wisdom from Christ as we see in, the, in this example. Give us the, the wisdom. But Lord, ultimately help us to commit. Lord, help us with those awkward transitions. Help us to just do whatever is necessary to get the message to Christ. And Lord, if the burden is not in our heart, would you put it there? And Lord, there may yet be someone here this morning who's never been saved. If there's someone here that's never received Jesus. They're, they're like that woman right now. They, they're thirsting and they don't know why. I pray that they would trust in Jesus and be saved. Lord, do a miracle today that would result in many souls saved. For your glory, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.